A merry winterville, everybody. This is producer Ben, and what you're about to hear in this special edition of the Totally Football Show podcast is a highly enlightening conversation between the TotallyFootballShow.com's editor Nick Miller and our very good friend Rafa Honigstein. Now, as you may know, Rafa wrote a biography of Jurgen Klopp, and not just any biography, the definitive biography, called Bring the Noise, and he brought out a new edition recently following Liverpool's Champions League victory last summer. What's in the updated version and why should you get it, even if, unlike me, you're not a fan of the six-time European champions? Well, over to you, Nick Miller and Rafa Honigstein. I think until he had won something, there was a view outside Liverpool that, yeah, you know, it's interesting and stuff, but why should I really engage with with this guy? And I think as far as, you know, books and, and biographies are concerned, you only really as a neutral probably will pick up a book if you think this is a winner and maybe I can learn something. So a lot of the success and a lot of the stuff that he had achieved at Mainz and Dortmund and was being foreshadowed, if you will, for his time at Liverpool then basically came came to be. And it makes for a nice arc because before that the book the book and Klopp, I guess they're the same in that sense. They they promise a lot and you think things might happen and they, they probably should and will happen. But of course they hadn't by the book. They, uh, by the time the book came out in November 2017, now that they have, I think it it makes you appreciate some of the earlier stuff slightly differently, and you you kind of see it in a in a different light. And it has a nice sort of full coming full cycle quality to it. You, you mentioned the thing about him, you know, winning something, and that you're doing in the new section that you do include a line where he says he could write a book about winning semi-finals, but, you know, no one would want to read that. Um, I mean, how how much did that thing about him losing finals weigh on his mind? And then having got over this hump of losing in a, a number of finals, do you think that's had uh, an impact on how Liverpool have played this season? I think it bothered him in terms of the conversation and in terms of um, it being a subject that people would get their teeth into and he was seen through that prism of the guy who doesn't win finals and I think that hugely bothered him because it has no relevance to a lot of the work he, he'd done before at Mainz who were never in a position to win any finals or, or got, get to finals in the first place. Um, at Dortmund where the bigger achievement was not winning finals in, in the cup but actually getting Dortmund to to um, championship wins in, in the Bundesliga and making them a a force in Europe again. Um, so it annoyed him and I think it worried him because uh, he talks about his wife being, would have been very upset um, reading about, you know, loser Klopp uh, in the gym and maybe the English tabloids as well. As far as his work with the team is concerned, I don't think that is something that really bothered him or entered his head because his position has always been, we are doing this job to win stuff and what, however big the disappointment is of not having won something in the past, it doesn't stop us from trying to do it again. Um, if there was something really wrong with, with us, he would say us, you know, the whole coaching stuff, winning finals, then perhaps we should just not enter, enter these competitions. But the hunger, as it was described to me by Pete Kravitz, his, his number two, the hunger to achieve stuff and the excitement of getting, um, you know, within touching distance of these big trophies just outweighs any fear or trepidation that you might have that you might stumble at the last last hurdle. And I don't think it ever entered the thinking of, of the team either. 
they had lost the final um, against Real Madrid, not because something that Klopp got wrong, but it was just a, a combination of freak events. And um, other finals, they probably weren't quite ready yet as a team. And the huge confidence, to answer your second part of your question, the huge confidence that you see now, I think already started before it started after the Barcelona game, where the team suddenly believed that they could achieve absolutely everything. And one of the great privileges of, of writing this book was being able to hang out with the team a little bit in the week before they went to the final in, in Madrid and to just see the state of relaxation and, and confidence and sort of deep-seated sense of we will win it this time because we are the better team and if we just play our game and even if there are one or two accidents, again, we're in a better situation or better uh, position to deal with them than we were the year before. And that's where this confidence comes from and that has definitely carried over into into this season now. Just to go back on something you, you mentioned about um, the, the perception of him not winning finals or whatever, is that a particularly English conversation? Because obviously he's he, uh, up to that point hadn't actually won anything in England, but in Germany, a couple of Bundesligas, he won the, the German Cup once uh, with Dortmund. Is that... Was that less of a conversation in Germany? I mean, I think the conversation in Germany was beginning to be influenced by by the perception in England. Um, because he is now working abroad, I think there is tremendous sense of pride, but also um, a different kind of exposure. You know, when when tabloids or or the British press write something, then this comes filters back, perhaps with not always with the right context and the right perspective. So it was beginning, I think, to have an echo effect back home as well. I mean, he would never be in places like Dortmund and Mainz being identified as a guy who loses stuff. He would always be seen as a winner. But of course, um, you don't want to continue that losing run for too long because then perception kind of becomes reality at, at, at some stage. So I think more for Liverpool as a club and sort of let's say the, the Klopp project and the Klopp era it was more important for that rather than for him personally. I think he can he could have walked away from Liverpool without winning anything and would have still had a pretty high stature in Germany and taken the biggest clubs. But of course now, having won stuff, that basically kind of secures his position and uh, gives him and and the project, as, a, as it were, more time to come to full fruition. And I think that, in that sense, it was a very important milestone that had to be achieved, whether it was in the Premier League or in the Champions League. Uh, it's given himself that, that ramp up um, to go a little bit further um, with, with people feeling confident that this is really working. And another thing that's um, mentioned in the new section is uh, the departure of Zaka Buvac, who's uh, was a long-time assistant, was with him from the Mainz days. I remember at the time there was a lot of talk about how well this could be, you know, really serious and this could have a significant impact. But it obviously hasn't. It's got Liverpool have got a lot better, if anything. Um, do you know why that is? Do you know why the the, the impact of Buvac leaving hasn't been quite as significant as people thought it might be? Well, I think first of all, Klopp has always been maybe over generous when it comes to the praise of of people around him and. Um, 
this line about Buvac being his football brain is something that stuck and has been sort of uncritically been repeated. And of course, you don't want to lose your brain. It means basically then you you know you're just not going to be able to to do your job properly, to coach properly. So the expectation of this immediate collapse of his footballing acumen was not realistic. He was a very important um, sounding board for him. He was very important, I think, in his early days when he didn't have the experience uh, in coaching. But I think he emancipated himself from, from Buvac to a certain extent, and he is a guy that learns all the time. And I think one of the important stuff that he learned along the way is to keep things fresh and to have different influences and to introduce different people. And I think for Buvac it was difficult to, to see perhaps his importance waning and finding somebody like Pepin Linders having more of an influence on Klopp and being listened to more. Even Kravitz, I think, has has moved out of the shadows and become, has become closer to Klopp in, in footballing terms and an importance for for the coaching um, on the whole. And ultimately, their relationship broke down broke down over that. And um, I think it's too easy to say, you know, Buvac left and then Linders came back, and that's why Liverpool have gone even better. But what I would say in general terms is that Klopp had to evolve because the initial blueprint, as radical and as innovative as it was, doesn't really help you once you are already at the top and try to maintain that because other teams just say, you know what, we'll just give you the ball and now you you play. So you have to evolve and you have to add a more managed approach to to your football because you need to get behind deep sides, you need to grind up results at the very top when you're perhaps not at your energetic uh, best. And with the help of Linders, I think, and uh, of course with, with the help of a team and a squad that uh, that believes in itself and has been strengthened over the years, they've now come to the position where, where it's possible to do that. And um, as you said, if anything, I think Buvac's departure has has helped. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. Just to go going on to sort of more uh, general questions about the book, one thing that's quite striking is there didn't seem to be many people that you spoke to who had a bad word to say about Klopp. I mean, did you speak to anyone who had a bad word to say and you say, no, I'd rather, I'd rather not talk about that guy or, or anything along those lines? It was a real problem. It was a real problem for the book to not find people who, who didn't like him or didn't rate him. In football, you only have to sort of... Um, tap three or four people on the shoulder and one of them will say, you know what, this guy that everybody thinks is great, let me tell you, he is rubbish. With Klopp, it was very, very difficult to find these people. I know, I knew of one guy who didn't get on with him at Mainz and I tried to get him to talk to me, but he said, listen, um, I don't want to be the one guy in the whole of Germany who doesn't like Jürgen Klopp, so please, uh, I don't want to be, I don't want to talk about it. But then I talked to him a bit more and I realised their differences were purely in footballing terms. He didn't like Klopp's football. Klopp didn't like the fact that the player didn't like his football. 
And that's why they had no basis of working together, especially at a place like Mainz where you didn't really have the luxury of having players who didn't buy into your system. It wouldn't, wouldn't have worked. So that's why it didn't work out. But people like Mats Hummels, who had huge fallouts and had huge differences with, with Jurgen Klopp, they still, they still love Klopp. They're still you know, really close to him. Um, they never let these animosities and these arguments and shouting uh, matches on the training pitch, they, they never really poisoned uh, the relationship. It, it always got back to, to a personal level where they actually really like each other. So it was, it was difficult to present sort of a second side or a different view because there isn't really one, one out there. I mean, one or two journalists at Dortmund, maybe towards the end, felt, felt treated a little bit badly when he lost his, his nerve one or two times too often. I think Klopp would have said many things that he regretted, but then he often then comes back and says, look, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. So what can you really... What kind of grudge can you really hold against a guy like that? It's it's difficult, but it is really reflective of a of a reality that is that is quite unique, which is the guy just doesn't have a lot of detractors in the game, which is quite unique in this position. And I suppose one of the kind of one of the sort of root causes of his popularity was his work on TV, particularly during the 2006 World Cup. I think that was probably my favourite chapter in the in the book oddly about because I you know it's just stuff that I didn't know about uh, how he his uh, status became so high in Germany I think when people talk about that there is a sort of slight perception that he got the Dortmund job because of that because of his TV analysis which I assume is you know a a little bit uh, too much but it's obviously a very important part of his kind of career. What do you, where do you think his career would have gone or would be now if he didn't do that uh, sort of analysis for the for the World Cup and he didn't gain that kind of national popularity um, because of it? I think it would have gone exactly the same way. Maybe with just two or three years more of a of a run up. He had an offer to go to Bayer Leverkusen and he initially wanted to go there from Mainz and. You know, Leverkusen are, are a club that have money and always have interesting players, but they don't have quite the emotional draw and the, and the, and the tradition and the fan base of Dortmund. Maybe from there would have then gone on to Dortmund or to Bayern and would have ended up at Liverpool now, uh, maybe two or three years later. But what, what helped, I think, was, first of all, it helped him. Um, he was already a brilliant communicator, but I think he learned even more to communicate things succinctly, the art of being a pundit is, is of course, telling people something that they don't know, but also being able to come um, to the point, as we say in German, you know, to get to where you need to go in a very quick um, space of time and just have 30 seconds and just hit hit the notes you, needed to, you need to hit. Not for people who are sort of the Monday night football audience, but 60 or 70 million people half of whom only tune in because it is the World Cup and they don't really understand what's going on. So to do that um, across the board, if you will, I think taught him a lot. And also taught him, I think, about the importance of emotions. You know, he witnessed a a very limited Germany team riding this wave of euphoria, uh, playing uh, beyond their own means and the kind of energy that can be created. That mindset already been witnessed but on a much smaller scale but I think it just kind of reinforced his view that these things these soft factors these intangibles are hugely important if you want to get the last 
10, 15% out of a side and create that momentum. And of course, as far as his sellability, I think is his, um, you know, his, his appeal to bigger clubs was concerned. It really helped because here's a guy who's standing next to Franz Beckenbauer and Pelé and all these, these superstars and, and they listen to what he says and, and they're nodding and they're thinking, okay, he, he knows what's going on. So it made it, I think, easier uh, for clubs like Dortmund, but even Bayern, who contacted him in 2008, to say, you know what, you're going to be our guy because he was no longer just the Mainz guy. He was a guy that could talk and explain football to the whole of Germany. And uh, so that was a very useful position uh, and podium for him, if you will, uh, a pulpit to, to work from. And I guess the, the the sort of explaining concepts in short amounts of time and in simple terms applies to coaching as well, obviously. Do, I mean, do you know if the TV stuff fed into the coaching or was it all, did it, was it the other way that it was from his uh, communication as a coach that fed into the TV stuff or was it was it both? It was both, but some of the techn- technology that he used at... Uh, ZDF, the German state broadcaster, was then being used at Mainz at a time when it was still not quite the um, the norm. This was still an outlier, you know, to do video analysis at half time, and to have somebody who can prepare things very quickly, also to have somebody who, in Pete Kravitz's video analysis, to see things very quickly. It's not about you know editing stuff, but actually finding what is the key thing that we have learned here from this first half in positive but also maybe negative terms or looking at the opposition, what, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong and just quickly cut that together and show the team in the five minutes you really have with them in half time. So these things definitely, I think, helped him and he understood for himself that this was going to be very useful um, for his work uh, when it comes to analysing but also, as you said, um, communicating things to to the team effectively. And uh, it's interesting now, I speak to people at Schalke who work with David Wagner. I speak to people at Borussia Mönchengladbach who work with um, Marco Rose, who played under him at Mainz. And they all say, well, we don't really want to compare him to Klopp, but they remind us of Klopp because these guys have this ability to take some pretty big and abstract ideas and, and quite complicated processes and they can put it into one or two sentences that are easily understood and sort of get this light bulb moment with players where they're thinking, ah, okay, this is what I have to do. And then they do it and things work better and they appreciate them for it. And I think that is probably sort of his one, the single most uh, important skill that he has, which is to just communicate these things really, really cleverly and, and smartly and, and with a sense of humor as well. Um, this is something we should we should mention because humor um, makes people listen. Humor makes people um, be attentive. Humor makes people like the message, even if the context of the message is you have to work harder and you have to do stuff you don't want to do. But if it's being put across with humor in a good-natured way, I think it, it makes addressing room a much happier environment. And that's always been a big... Um, big factor for him as well, and that's something that again, I think he learned working with a crowd, you know, entertaining people, entertaining millions effectively. How big an asset that can be as well. 
He's now um, incredibly famous outside of football in England as well. I, I use the, the anecdotal evidence of my friends that don't have any interest in football. They couldn't pick Jordan, Jordan Henderson out of a lineup, but they all know who Klopp is. Um, I've kind of usually attributed that to obviously his obvious charisma, but also the fact that he is not particularly afraid to talk about things other than football, social issues and so on. Do you think, there's, is there anything else to it, do you think, or are, there, are those the kind of factors do you think that explains that? Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's an incredibly charismatic man who, who likes to talk, who has, as you said, has big opinions, has big views, and is increasingly, I think, willing to to use his position to to make those statements. I think it was very brave for him to speak out against Brexit, for example, um, as a club and as a coach, you probably think there's very little to be gained here. The people who, who like this will not really like me more, but the people who don't like it uh, will have a real reason to, to, um, you know, to hate me and to maybe feel differently about the club. But he, he did it nevertheless because he felt it was the right thing to say. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons it works so well at Liverpool because this is a club that's built on big charismatic leaders and there's an expectation and a need for a guy who can be the face of the whole club and to sort of lead almost sort of the tribe or the the troops into into battle and he has that quality because you think you know I want to play for this guy I want to work with this guy I want to hang out with this guy and all these things help I think to unite people behind him and to have him follow in that direction and uh, maybe this is a good way to to end this um now that you can see that these these battles and and this this way of doing stuff actually comes with success tangible success he's reached a point where i think almost blindly probably follow his lead and believe that this guy is really the guy who's going to take us to to years and years of glory and uh, lots of silverware and that's why this huge excitement and this huge belief exists at Liverpool at the moment. Um, we're recording this a few days after he signed a new contract um, and if he stays to the end of that contract he'll be at Liverpool for I think a couple of years longer than he was at Dortmund. Do you know if there's anything differently that he has either done or has in mind to... Um, avoid how things sort of deteriorated so badly in the, the, the last year at Dortmund? Well, I think the circumstances are quite different, uh, really, at Liverpool. Unlike uh, Dortmund, they're not in a position where they have to lose all their best players. Year by year, we have one piece of, at least one big piece of the jigsaw being taken out, and then you have to find a new one that fits, and then you lose time again because of that. All these things are not there. The The, the World Cup was a big distraction for some of the team. They came back as winners and perhaps thought, you know, why should I do all this running? I'm a World Cup winner. Um, all these factors are not, not existent at Liverpool. But I think in a more general sense, what he would have learned is that you have to keep things fresh. Now, the easiest way to do that is to just change manager after a few years. Uh, the other way of doing it is to freshen up the team. And I think it was really interesting and, and, and quite telling that he talked about the need to tell players and prospective players of Liverpool where this is going. And 2022 is not long down the line. So having a bit more time, I think, to also 
build a new Liverpool, or at least sort of lay the groundwork of the Liverpool that comes next, which will have to start in two years' time, when Mane and Salah and Firmino sort of coming to the to the end of their their purple patches in their careers, you cannot then stop in 2022. You really have to take this a couple of years further, at least sort of set things in motion. And I think if Liverpool crack that transition and the managerial transition, and perhaps it's no coincidence that Steven Gerrard's new deal at uh, Rangers runs till 2024, then they would have really done it because this is something that no big Premier League side in the modern era have been able to do successfully, which is to transition from a very charismatic, successful coach to the next one. If they can do it, then their longevity um, will be reassured. And uh, I think there's a, a keen awareness of just how important that is and that 2022 was probably um, too short a time span to do it properly. What do you think will be next for him uh, after he leaves Liverpool? In when whenever that whenever that will be, it's not easy to answer because I don't think he necessarily has a plan for what comes next. Um, everything I've heard is that he might just take a bit of time out, enjoy life, get out of this this grind, this machine that especially the Premier League is for managers. Um, the German national team, I think, for obvious reasons, um, has has a big appeal. Um, people in Germany thought that twenty twenty two would be a natural. Um, starting point for him with uh, Germany playing at the Euros in Germany in 2024. If that gets pushed back two years and he takes over ahead of the World Cup in the US, which is also a pretty interesting proposition, uh, that could work. But if things continue as they have over the last couple of years, and even if they don't, even if let's say that he has slightly less success going forward for whatever reason, I don't believe that it's, that's going to happen. Let's just say for whatever reason, Liverpool don't win anything else, I think he'd still be in a position to basically walk into any job he wanted because he has now established himself as a guy who takes clubs in a certain point and leaves them in a much, much better place. And that is a bigger achievement than walking in and winning trophies for a couple of years and then moving on again. So the demand for a guy like him, a transformative manager, as I would call him, um, will only be, will only increase, and um, people will hope to do a Liverpool with a Klopp for years to come. That was the TotallyFootballShow.com's editor Nick Miller speaking to our very good friend Rafa Honigstein. Bring the noise. The definitive Jurgen Klopp biography is published by Yellow Jersey Press, and it's out right now. <laughs> 